All right. Good morning, Trinity Church. How you doing? <clears throat> Would you say hello to Chris? Hey guys. Now, you obviously know Chris, and you he's been a part of Trinity literally. You were born yeah, into the family, so... He's been here a long, long time, and it, with a great job, he's been working actually with our student ministries department as a ministry associate at a certain level, but we were real excited when Bill and I, when uh, Chris approached us a few months ago and said, hey, I don't know what you're thinking in the future, but if you're interested, I would love to join the team at a full-time level. So Chris is going to join Bill in our worship ministries as a worship director beginning and here in this month of July based on our budget that we're voting on a week from Sunday. So can you welcome him? And we're excited for him to be in that role. Well, we're really glad to be here with you today, week three in a series that we're calling Faith Steps. I want to apologize in advance that Jackson's not here with me today, okay? I know, uh, I know who the better preacher is, and so it was a great time getting to be here uh, with him and serving in that role, and you guys were very great to just be so kind to him as he, God is just continuing to grow him uh, in for whatever he has for his future. But it's just a privilege to get to preach together last week. Um, in that, we're going to move forward today in our series. If you have a worship folder, you, you have some message notes in there. You might want to get those out, have those ready. Now, when you walked in today, if, if there was a, a certain smell in the room, imagine this is what you know. This is what it is to, to work in a factory that makes new chairs because that's the smell. You're sitting in them. These are our brand new chairs. They arrived. We're way excited about that. Earlier this week, when I came in on like Thursday or Friday, the chairs got delivered that day. I came in and thought, man, these kids are smelling bad, you know? We had Camp TLC, and I just mistook it for elementary stink, you know? And it, it wasn't. It's new chair stink. And so it will evaporate. We'll get good over time. But it was great. I sat down, and the first time I thought, oh, that's firm, right? And you did too. You thought, I thought that was going to give a little bit more. Nope, these are new chairs and they're going to be awesome. So we're really grateful. Your generosity, you guys gave over $35,000 so that we could have these ready to go and I appreciate so much your generosity moving forward in the future. What we're doing today is we're engaging this series. We are really trying to move in a, a direction where we stop doing this. We stop admiring the faith of other people. Watch this only let it stop there and never let it translate to how that should be growing our faith in Jesus for ourselves. So it typically happens. You'll be interacting with someone and they trusted God for something very epic in their life. And you just go, man, I love that. I love hearing your story. I love hearing how God came through. I wish I had faith like that. And that's where it stops. This series is meant to help you grow your confidence in God as we look at narratives from the former Testament, the Old Testament, and see the way that God kept showing up, kept being faithful to his people, and as a result, their confidence in him grew. Here's the point. Your confidence in God will grow when you step forward. That's the issue. So we're trying to look at these biblical examples with the purpose, with the goal of growing our own faith. And watch, not just to trust God that might happen a couple, for something that might happen a couple months from now, a year from now, to trust him for the fork in the road you're looking at today. That's what the goal of this series is all about. And we believe that happens when we not only hear and admire the faith of others, but we begin to actively engage it ourselves. 
Hilke started this series for us a couple weeks ago, Jackson and I last week, and now we're here into week three. And what we're going to find today as we dial in is we're going to find that of all the faith steps, of all the faith steps, even all the way back to when you may have first put your faith in Jesus, the first step is always the hardest. This is how that kind of became clear to me. I, um, my brother, once we graduated from high school, my brother kind of got interested in rappelling. And uh, I beforehand had never been so, and since have never been so interested in it. But my brother was, and how many of you have done something like this before with rappelling? Okay, so quite a few. So this is kind of how it works. You, and by the way, this was awesome. Last service, uh, this guy had gotten tangled, and so I basically had to kind of strap it on with no leg you know, kind of thing as you go through these leg holes. So um, for people who would go, Todd doesn't know what he's doing, they were absolutely proved right, okay? But today I'm going to show you at least a little bit. Now, by the way, I made these very loose because sometimes when you're repelling it, hold your clothing way too close to your body, okay? So we're going to try to do that a little bit better. Okay, so here's the general idea. <clears throat> you put on this, uh, this belt and um, you've got your, your rope and your, if I get, there we go, get our belay. And, and what happens is this, as you are kind of in this sequence and, uh, and getting to the edge of a cliff, I remember going with my brother to Rubido, and there's places there that you can rappel. And I remember him walking me through this whole thing. We kind of, you know, put in our, our carabiner and a rope. The rope is solid. It's not going to break. Carabiner pretty, looks like it's pretty, you know, tough metal. I've never done this before. And he gets me to the edge, and he says, Todd, here's the hardest part. You're going to get out to the edge to the lip of the rock, and it's a sheer rock face. I think the rock we might have been on was probably 120 feet up. And you're just looking down at little people, right, down at the bottom. And as you get to this and you begin to pull on the rope, you realize what's going to happen in just a second is you're going to get perpendicular to the rock. Right now I'm parallel to it, and I'm actually pretty happy right here, okay? Even with, a f <laughs> even with being as scared of heights, I can handle this. But it's that first step when I begin to get my feet perpendicular to the rock that is always the hardest, Today, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. But for many of us here today, standing right here on the edge, God's made it pretty clear that your next step is there. And the first step is really, really hard. Today, we're going to see from a group of people that I really admire in so many ways and hopefully have done more than admire them, hopefully seen their faith and wanting to, whoops, wanting to emulate it as well. Um, but we're going to see a group of people whose very first step into what God had for them was definitely going to be the hardest, but it was going to be worth it. And that's what I want to draw your attention to. We're looking at a group of people today who, what I have said before, are my favorite generation in the entire Bible. Eleven months ago, when we began our first Sunday together with you, I talked about this group of people that the book of Deuteronomy was written to, a group of people that God directed Moses, make a covenant with them, now, before they ever enter the land. Let's agree on how we're going to live, agree on how we're going to respond to our God before we ever get to the place he's promised us he has for us. And it's that generation today that we're going to be looking at primarily. Now, that generation, what's interesting about them are their parents. You see, their parents got right to the edge. They, they were slaves, former slaves in Israel or in Egypt. They got right to the edge of a promised land that God had given to them. And as they got there, they were afraid. They faced a first step. Their first step walking into this land, they saw it. They saw all the intimidation, the walled cities, and they said, God, you brought us here, and now you're just going to kill us. 
because we're going to go into this land and they're going to slaughter us. We're afraid for our children, afraid what's going to happen to them. Every excuse under the sun they were coming up with, they stopped at the border, never entered. And the words I'm going to say next to your Bible, by the way, if you have it, you can open to Joshua 3. But let me tell you, read to you what's happening earlier in the narrative from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. The things you were afraid of, they're going to happen. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who is counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephune, or whatever that actually sounds like, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years. Watch this. Suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. And those are some of the the words you never want to hear from an all-powerful, all-sovereign Yahweh God. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness, and here they will die. That is a summary of the people we're looking at today of their parents. They got right to the edge of God's promise and said, no, thank you, we're afraid. They stood at a fork in the road and said, we're going to take a path that looks safe that we can control rather than have to trust God for things we can't control. And God said, as a result of your fears, you're going to experience them. I was here to deliver you, to protect you, to provide for you, but I'm going to actually let you experience the very things you fear, and it is your children that I'm going to give this land to. So today, whether, no matter where you come from, whether you have a great heritage or one that died in the desert, you have to follow Jesus and what he's calling you to do, where he's calling you to go And it always begins with a first step. Here's our next step idea today related to that. Following Jesus to where he's calling you begins by taking the first step that you're staring at today. Number one in your notes today, God does what only God can do. God does what only God can do. We're in the narrative. We're in Joshua chapter three. Let me give you the context of the first two chapters before we get to that. Joshua one begins this way. God comes to Joshua. He is the new appointed leader of Israel. Moses has died. Moses has been leading that former generation that all died in the desert. He was their leader. Now there's a new leader and God has appointed Joshua to lead the people. And what does God consistently say? I thought this was wild. I was preparing for a seminar that I would give up at Forest Home a few weeks ago. And I came across this idea. It just blew my mind that I've never realized this before. The the commandment that's most given in the Bible, the command, the imperative verb, the directive, what you ought to do the most, that's most stated in the Bible is simply this. Do not be afraid. Isn't that wild to stop and think about? That is probably the thing, and it really just makes sense when you think about it. What does God need to counter the most are our fears. 
And what does he say to Joshua? Do not be afraid. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. I am going to lead you as you lead the people to take the land I promised to their parents. That's all about Joshua 1. Joshua chapter 2. They send in spies to Jericho. We'll see it on a map later today. And as these spies go in, this is a very powerful narrative of a, of a prostitute that they meet there named Rahab. Rahab, this prostitute, is actually going to put them in safe haven in her space, in her room, in her house. And she's going to protect them because this is the first words out of her mouth when she begins to meet them and realizes who they are. She says, our whole city, our whole people group is melting with fear because of the way your God is working among you. We see it. We've heard the stories. We know you're marching our direction. We are melting with fear. And so she makes a bargain with them. She says, if I give you a safe place to be and to hide, when you, not if you, when you come and defeat our city, would you please remember me and my family? And they strike a deal. And the spies said, absolutely. They leave in the cover of night. They come back and report to Joshua. Just think of the things that God is doing to build the confidence of Joshua. Not only has he said to him, I will be with you, but then he has the spies come back and they tell him, Joshua, these people are melting with fear because of what they've seen Yahweh do on our behalf. That's when we pick up the narrative of where we're at today. Joshua chapter three, beginning in verse one, here's their next step, their first step. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. By the way, be very careful how you pronounce that word, okay? Um, they went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move from your positions and follow it. So he's giving directions. Something's going to happen. The ark's going to move and you're going to follow it. Then you will know which way to go <clears throat> since you have never been this way before. So this is brand new territory. We're in a part of the wilderness. We've never been in before. Follow the ark. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Now, you and I don't use that measurement every day. But if you look at your Bible, there's probably a footnote that says something like 1,000 yards. Okay, to do the math, 1,000 yards is 10 football fields end to end to end. Okay, so it's a good distance. You can see it. It's out there, but you're not close to it at all. You're standing back. It says, do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, you're going to hear that, and some of you are familiar with this narrative, and you're going to hear that, and this is going to kind of roll right off you, like no big deal. He just told guys that are carrying this very holy ark, I think there's usually three to a side, so six, they're going to come, and they're just going to go stand in the river. We're going to see in a minute why that was a big deal. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God, of Yahweh. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and every other ites under the planet, okay? 
<clears throat> See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. It will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord and the, the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, if this narrative is new to you and you just heard me say that this flowing river, let's imagine the river just flowing right through the middle of our uh, worship center today, that this flowing river is just going to stop and, and stand up over here, going to make a pile, as it were, of water over here. You, you've heard me say that and you go, that doesn't happen every day. And for this group of Israelites, guess what? That hadn't happened to them every day either. You see, what had been going on is they had literally been wandering in a desert for 40 years. They had, each one of them, buried their parents in said wilderness. And they were wondering if the tales that they had heard as kids would ever come true. Imagine this. Imagine you were 15 years old when you left Egypt. Your parents, your family, you're 15. You have on this 40-year journey, you've, you've seen your parents come to the edge of the promised land. You've heard them reject. They were afraid. They said, no, God, we won't go. You've seen God kill them one at a time in the desert. There's something powerful when God says it's going to happen. You see it happening. But then also, you've been hearing about this promised land. You're wandering. You heard this news at 15. It would be now at 55 when you would hear Joshua say, get up because we're going to go get the land. 40 years of waiting. We said it a big deal last week when David had to wait 22 years to ascend to the total kingdom of Israel. 40 years this generation of people would wait and wonder, is this ever really going to happen? Today, the first step into the promised land was going to happen, and it looked at first like it was going to be a wet one. But then we find out something different. Chapter 3, verse 15, just following in the text. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. That's an important thing to remember. I'll show you why in a minute. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan. They stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This should do something to you. This is what the definition of a miracle is. A lot of times in our culture, we will say things are miraculous. And really what we're saying is, I don't know how that happened, but it was really cool. If you find a really smart person, they will tell you how it happened. I don't care how smart you are, river waters rushing down the middle that stand up in a heap over here so we can all walk on dry ground. There's no explanation for that but God. That's a miracle. That's the textbook definition of a miracle. There's no explanation for what happened aside from God's intervening power. 
Take a look at the picture. This is what's going on related to the Jordan. The picture's a little small, I apologize. But when you look, you'll see at the very way top, the Sea of Galilee, you'll see this river kind of going through. They call it the Jordan River Valley. And the picture shows that a little bit of depression where the water is. And you'll see at the very bottom of the picture, the Dead Sea, the Sea of the Arabah, as we read. And then you'll note the camels to the right. And as they're coming, there's a point at which they're going to cross the river. And then you'll see Jericho off to the left. And you look at that and you go, okay, that's great. Now, when you look at that little picture of a river, that little pencil line, you kind of go, well, I, I've taught, I've been to rivers. And there's some, if you're careful, you can kind of cross and navigate just fine. But we just read a minute ago that the Jordan River was at flood stage. This is what flood stage looks like at the Jordan River. This is not something you're going to casually walk across. So I want you to understand this. The group of people, especially at the front of the line, as they're walking up and and the priests have not yet walked to the water's edge, they're looking over and they're seeing rushing white water. Look at the next slide. It's the same idea. They're seeing that kind of water rushing through what's before them. You got to believe they were scared. You got to believe they thought, I've got little kids. How in the world are we going to get across this and navigate this? But God does what only God can do. And he provides a way for them to cross on dry ground. You know, rivers don't just stop flowing because you need to get across them to the other side. Watch this. Neither do Red Seas. But God had already done this once before. Go back to the character we mentioned a minute ago who was 15 years old. Imagine, just imagine they're in the line. They're kind of middle of the line and they see the river kind of, remember it's in a valley so they can maybe kind of look down and they're kind of wondering what's happening and the buzz is how how are we going to even cross this? How are we going to get all wet? I don't know if we can get, and as you're hearing all this, you're kind of realizing, but the line's still moving. We we must, must things, and then it dawns on you. This has happened before. I was a kid. I was a 15-year-old. Some of you are sitting here today. That's where you're at, your life stage today. You were 15 when you crossed a Red Sea on dry ground and we're sitting there watching the water up on both sides going, this could kill us at any minute. And if it's not the water, it's the Egyptians on chariots that are on our tail that can. What is going to happen? Now all of a sudden you're coming to a Jordan River and you're going, oh, we've been here before. Some of us. Most of the generation, never anything, but for me, As a 15-year-old then and a 55-year-old now, I've seen God do amazing things before. He's up to it again. This is what Yahweh is doing. Look at how this part comes together. Joshua 4.18. Then the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stages before. So it wasn't even as though they crossed the river and they just kind of kept walking towards Jericho. And that's really cool. It's still dry. I hope it helps other people, you know, as they're crossing. As they cross through, as soon as the, the priests get out of the water, boom, the rapids keep coming. And you have to know, if you think this was just kind of a walk in the park, okay? Floodwaters are going this direction. They want to come through here. You're going to walk through it. As you're walking through, I don't know about you, but I would have been like this. There's a heap of water over there that gravity says wants to go there. I'm going to walk gingerly, okay? I am not going to do just to kind of skip through the garden as we walk across. I want to get to the other side because I don't know how long those waters are going to stay. And they stay just long enough 
until the priests come out of the water and the floodwaters return. God will do what only God can do. He will take care of that. The thing I want you to see today is this. Crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, watch this, was not the point. It was not the whole big idea. God, you just got literally hundreds of thousands of people from one side to a river on dry ground. This is amazing. It was. But guess what? It was just the beginning. This same group of people would go to a city we just saw on a map called Jericho, a walled, fortified city. And they would walk around this city for seven days. They didn't lob bombs. They didn't scale the wall. They just walked. I don't know about you, but the last time I wanted to overtake a fortified city, I didn't think that power walking would be the plan. All they did was obey God And as they walked around this city on the seventh day, the walls fell. This same people group would leave Jericho. They would go to the south and they would route all the kingdoms to the south of Canaan. Then they would go north and they would route the kingdoms there. And this group of people would live just like it said in Deuteronomy, just like the promise was made. They would live in houses they did not build. They would eat grapes from vines they did not plant. God would be absolutely 100% faithful to them. That's what this was all headed toward. Crossing the Jordan was just the first step. As amazing and miraculous as it was, that was just the first step to all that God still had in store. And for every one of those decisions, for every one of those steps, they would have to trust God for something new. What do you mean walk around a city? Yep, that's what he told me. See both the power and the compassion that God has for his people. See that God would do what only God could do and see that they would trust and obey and walk where he told them to. Number two in your notes today, God directs you to remember and remind others of what he's done for you. God directs you to remember and remind others of what he's done for you. Now, part of this narrative that we kind of skipped over, the narrative just kind of keeps rolling is ironic to me because it's usually the part of your narrative, the part of my narrative that we also skip over. Pick it up, chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, watch this, in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the numbers of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant has stood. Watch this. And they are there to this day. Take a look at the picture. They might have looked something like this. All stacked up. And what I want you to see today 
I brought a rock to show you. I didn't bring 12 because I thought it'd make me tired, right? So just one. But, uh, but imagine that, um, that I'm a character maybe from the tribe of Benjamin. And we said before that the river is flowing this way and I'm, I'm walking across. I've been appointed as one representing my tribe that as I cross the river, I'm going to now come back and I'm going to pick up a stone. And, and again, remember, floodwaters. I don't know if you've ever stood next to a river that's moving the way that those pictures just showed. It's loud, right? You have to, you have to get, and like I said, we keep getting into these areas. You have to get in the sandals. This is real life happening to them. Roaring water rushing that's not touching them. And as they come back into the riverbed and they grab this rock, imagine as he takes this rock, he puts it on his shoulder and he crosses over to the other side. And when he does, where there's maybe already a stack of rocks, he adds this to the stack. And there's going to be 12 stones over there. And this is what the Bible, by the way, this is not the first time this has happened. Earlier in this Old Testament, this former covenant, there were people who put up stacks of rocks to memorialize something God had done very powerfully. This would not be the last stack of rocks. Because further, in this same covenant, there would be other people who put up stacks of rocks related to God's faithfulness, and they would name it. This is where God showed up. This is where God defeated our enemies. This is where God provided. They would build these memorials, these altars, stacks of rocks that said to commemorate what God had done for them. Simple question today. Do you have a stack of rocks? Do you have tangible reminders of the ways that God has shown up powerfully in your life? Let's break this down. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, everyone answers yes to that question because this is where it starts. It starts at the cross. The reality that you stood on one side of a chasm and God was over there, and because of his holiness, there was a problem in the relationship called sin. You had no hope to be right with him unless he did something first on your behalf. That was the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth. And living a sinless life, dying a sacrificial death, being raised from the dead supernaturally on the third day, that is what Jesus did on your behalf. You have a stack of rocks. Because aside from what Jesus did on your behalf, you are hopeless. I am hopeless. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter if you have some kind of cosmic scales of good and bad. It's none of that business. It's all about what Jesus did for you. You have a stack of rocks. Since that stack, have there been other stacks that you would say, God, I was facing this fork in the road and you asked me to take a step and as I did, you did what only you could do and I just kept putting one foot in front of the next and I saw you do amazing things. For those of you that would have said stacks of rocks, can I just put out to you something today? This is a story worth sharing. This is a story worth talking about because you've got to remember that in the narrative today, what Joshua said is that this stack of rocks would memorialize, it would commemorate what God had done. Can you imagine, same 15-year-old back at the Red Sea, now 55-year-old, can you imagine that person walking across the river, seeing the stack of rocks, and they're walking by with their grandson? Grandson who's born three or four years after this whole situation, walking by the stack of rocks, and, and a three or four-year-old grandson, what's he going to do when he sees a stack of rocks? 
these are worth knocking over, right? And so he's going to go do that. Going, hold on. We're not doing that. And you hold on to his hand real tight. And he, and he says, Grandpa, why can't No, no, no. This, these stacks of rock, this stack of rocks is super important. Why? This is where God provided for us when we walked across that river right there on dry ground. You see, if you would have experienced that, this is something you couldn't help but talk about something that you would be excited to talk about. Maybe you have stories like that now where there's just this parallel glancing idea that comes up in a conversation, comes to your mind, and instantly you say, oh, but remember the time. Let me tell you about the time when God did this. You say it maybe so much that the people around you go, oh, they're going to tell, he's going to tell the story about God so amazing again. (laughs) Always telling that story. Would it be that that's our problem? We tell the story too much because we're so excited of what God has done. And by the way, can I remind you, it's not as though you don't have a captive audience. You have a relational world that you do life with, that you have credibility with this group of people. They do life with you. They know who you are. To walk up to some stranger's door, knock on the door and say, by the way, I just wanted you to know, God did this amazing. There's a wacko at the door but you don't have to have those opportunities to share this story because they're right underneath your nose. Quick, quick question. If, as I'm talking today, if you're kind of identifying, yeah, God, I've really, we have these great moments of just seeing your protection, your provision. Simple question. Have you told your kids? Do do your kids, like a lot of times we shield our kids from things we don't want them to worry about, be stressed about. But I want to say on the backside, when you see God do what only he can do, have you shared those stories with your kids? Because that's what Israel was commanded to do. When you walk by them, tell your kids what God has done. Maybe you're here today and you say, Todd, I don't really have a lot of stack of rocks. I I know God's good. I know he loves me. I know he's kind. I know he provides for me, but when we talk about something that, just something only God can do, I don't know if I've really experienced that much. I mean, I've heard amazing stories. I hear this narrative today. I just don't know if I have those stories myself. Can I tell you something? Look in your notes. I want to remind you of something so that you wouldn't be discouraged, but instead encouraged by this today. Remember, remember how the Israelites gained these rocks? They were from the middle of the Jordan River. They weren't from the edge on the bank. They had to walk out into the middle of what was previously a roaring rapid river to pick up these rocks to carry to the other side. When you take a step and trust God, this is the problem I have so often as I'm talking to people, they say, Todd, I really want to trust God for something. And I go, what are you staring at today? Well, I'm looking at this issue. What are you trusting him for? I can't, I'm afraid. And how many times is the same narrative going to be your story? I'm staring at something I'm afraid of and I'm not willing to trust God for it. Here's my point. You don't pick up rocks when you keep caving to fear. Rocks are found when you say, God, I'm going to trust you. You're going to do what you you need to do. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to trust you and obey. That's where those stories came from. And that's where they'll come in your life too. Number three today, God demonstrates his power with purpose. God demonstrates his power with purpose. One thing I really appreciate so very, very much about the God who is described in your Bible, in my Bible, is how incredibly purposeful he is. 
If you remember, if you were here with us all the way back to our study in Ephesians last fall, we found so many times what we called purpose statements, so that this would happen. I absolutely love that about the nature and character of God is that he is so strategic and purposeful with what he does. Often the strategy and the purpose is veiled to you and me. We can't see it. It just like looks like a mess, but God is doing something powerful that we'll ultimately get to see and get to appreciate. Well, in this whole sequence, God is up to something. A couple of things in particular, I just wanted to show you as we finish today, what he was out to accomplish by having his people walk across dry land. Joshua 3, 7, we read it a little bit ago. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. One of the things that God is after in having literally this whole nation march on dry ground is he wants them all to know as Moses was this unique, appointed, anointed leader, I've given that mantle to Joshua. Remember what Moses had done for the people, 12 plagues led them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God had given them a pillar of cloud to travel by day, a pillar of fire to travel by night. God fed them in the desert with manna. God gave water from the rock. God even opened up the ground and swallowed up people who dared to defy Moses. This new generation needed to know, I am with Joshua just like I was with Moses. And by having Joshua be involved in leading the people on dry ground across the Jordan River, it showed to the people, he's our new guy. Don't have factions. Don't say how much you loved Moses. Focus on Joshua. He's God's appointed leader for us. That's one of the huge things that he does there. And beyond the designation of Joshua as the people's leader, God wanted the world to know. He wanted the world to know now and forever that he is who he says he is, powerful to save. And he wanted the people to have a right kind of appreciation and respect of who he was. Skip down to the very end of our story today. Joshua chapter four, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Just like we talked about a minute ago. Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Watch verse 24. He did this so that, another purpose statement, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought of the fact that when God is on the move, working powerfully in your circumstances, that God is after so much more than just the circumstances? In your notes, the reason why God shows up in powerful fashion isn't primarily to meet the particular felt need that you have in the moment, but so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God is up to something when he's working in your life, not just to meet that need, but to demonstrate, look who I am in the life of you. The people in your relational world, they see and they hear the stories when you share it with them. 
God is something, this person's God is like something I've never heard of before. I've never encountered. I don't know what to do with it. That was God's purpose for getting the people across. And watch this. And God not only wanted to have a megaphone to the world, he wanted to speak to each and every person. Each person where there's heaps of river water this way, as they walked on dry ground, have a respect and a reverence and a fear of me because I am who I say I am. Those kinds of things happen when you trust God and take the first step and see him do what only he can do. Consider these truths this week as you continue to see God hold back the waters and as you tell your world about the amazing things he's done for you. Your next step this week, follow Jesus. Following Jesus where he's called you begins by taking the first step you're staring at today. Let's pray. So Father, we say today, thank you so very much for this narrative. Thank you, God, so very much for this powerful, beautiful illustration for us today of the fact that you do what only you can do and you've called us to follow you there. God, I pray for my friends today that are here. I pray for those that are facing fork in the road decisions. They are literally staring at some sort of of issue at some sort of circumstance where you have called them out. You have beckoned them to come to follow you, but God, for so many reasons, they're afraid. I pray, God, that even through this narrative today, would you replace their fear with faith? Would you grow our collective confidence in you because the God who did this amazing thing for the nation of Israel is the same God we're praying to right now. You may be here today and you may say, Todd, you know, I have actually, you talked about that first stack of rocks for people who put their trust in Jesus and, and recognizing their need for a savior. I, I've honestly never made that decision. I, I don't have literally any stack of rocks here today. I wanna encourage you, you can actually do something about that problem right here and right now. You can respond to Jesus's invitation, his invitation to be forgiven, his invitation to receive him as the only savior available, his invitation to live out his example by the power of his very spirit he puts in you to live his way with the hope of heaven as your home. You have the opportunity to respond to those ABCs of admit, believe, choose right here and right now. And my encouragement to you today is that you would, that you wouldn't even let another moment go by before you receive that first stack of rocks of God's faithfulness to you. Father, we love you. Help us this week to take the first step of what we're facing. We pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen.